after buzzers, before we move on, we would like to say thanks to our sponsor, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. Plus, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Also, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. And it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Tonight, we're sealing the deal and director Natalia Ayudin is here to help. This is the Two Sentence Horror Story After Show. You're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz Hello, hello. Thank you so much for tuning in, AfterBuzzers. My name is Mia Brabham. I'm so excited to be here tonight. This is the Two Sentence Horror Story After Show, and we are going to be talking about episode 105, and the episode title is Skyon. I'm so excited. Um, the most important thing I should tell you up front is that we have director Natalia Ayden here tonight. I'm so excited. So stay tuned. We're going to interview and chat with her at the end. I'm sure she's going to give us a ton of gems. I cannot wait. But I, I mean, I think we should maybe just just jump into all of this. Um, I mean, it's going to be a really cool show. We're going to do uh, you know a whole rundown of the episode. We're going to do a special segment called Truth is Stranger Than Fiction. I'm going to tell you some real-life stories that turned into horror movies. We're going to get into some news gossip, and then we're going to have the interview. So jumping right in, my overall thoughts... I absolutely, I mean, I've said this before in all the previous episodes, I love the diversity on the show. We've seen so many different main characters that are all different backgrounds, different ethnicities. I'm obsessed. I'm so glad that we have it on the show. It's so much inclusivity. And we have a queer couple. So I think this is like the most progressive, maybe, arguably, of the episodes so far. So that was really, really awesome to see. And it reminded me a lot of American Horror Story because I'm a huge fan. And it reminded me of this Asylum season. I don't know if you guys have seen that season of the show, but it reminded me a lot of that. So that was super exciting for me. I was like, ooh, a different side of horror. We got like the, you know, the treatment center kind of creepy asylum vibe. So that was super, super fun. So first sentence, as we know, is two sentence horror story. And it's based off of two sentences. We get a whole 30-minute episode. The first sentence is, I shook her hand, sealing the deal, which can mean a lot. And so we find out. Basically, I want to start off with some of the characters. So we meet Noah, who is our main character, and immediately I kind of see, um, you know, about five minutes into the episode, we see what this is going to be about. You know, it's this couple, it's this queer couple, and um, they're they're maybe new in a relationship. They're they're totally in love, which is beautiful to see. We see this guy come and push them down, and then you know he's in this awful coughing fit, and Noah ends up in this amazing, uh, eloquent treatment center. And so off the bat, we see it's kind of based around this family, and he's not shy. You know, in the episode, we find out that his family is very, very wealthy, comes from a lot of witch, uh, riches. And so I immediately stopped, and I was like, I got to look up the title of this episode. So I look it up, and Skyon means two things. A young shoot or twig of a plant, especially one cut for grafting or rooting, and then two, a descendant of a notable family. And what I loved about this, I need to figure out who titled this episode because it's so ingenious. So I think it's kind of a metaphor for both. It's not one or the other, but grafting, you know, is when tissues of a plant are joined, and we kind of think about what happened to him this thing is growing in him and uh, we find out later that you know he has to accept it into him so I felt it had to do a lot with like roots and plants and even like the whole family thing and then descendant of a notable family the parents clearly come from riches and 
I, I thought it was so sad and powerful how, you know, he said, you know, my parents haven't said I love you in years. So you kind of see the disconnect in that there's a lot of um, gray area with this family, which I wish we could have gotten more into. But also I understand it's a 30-minute show. They're telling a two-sentence horror story. So totally understandable. But I thought that was interesting off the bat. I had to tell you guys that because I don't know if you guys looked it up too or were wondering about it. I definitely was. But the plot was a total roller coaster, which is a good thing. I mean, off the bat, the pacing was incredible. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but this was what was going on in my brain. We see Noah coughing, and I'm like, oh my goodness, is, is he going to cough something up? Like, kind of like uh, episode, I think it was episode two, Squirm. So I was like, is he going to cough something up like Squirm? Is there something inside his body? And then I'm like, no. Oh my gosh, he's deathly sick. Like, he has a terminal disease. And then two minutes later, I'm like, no, it's, it's just a cold. It's a cough. And then we find out that it's cancer. And so... Like I said, the pacing, absolutely incredible there because so much is going through our minds as viewers when the show first starts off. And then, like I said, we see this guy come by and this couple's so in love and he knocks him down, this runner in the park, and clearly it was very upsetting. But we see, we see that Noah, as this character, he's got some sass because like I've said, my personal, oh, my, my vendetta with everything that happened before is that the characters really just don't speak their minds like you know they're in the house and they don't call the police and they're scared and so we see this guy and he's actually got some spice to him so I like this Noah character so far and then we see him go into this uh treatment facility for wealthy people for for people you know who have money clearly and it's supposed to help and it's supposed to be um you know state of the art and this is when the creepy, the creepiness really begins. And so this entire time I'm thinking, is it dreams? Is it reality? I'm still not sure. We'll have to ask Natalia about that. But uh, we see, you know, a guy with a messed up eye. And I'm just like, why is his eye messed up? I still don't know. Maybe we can talk about that too. But we see him and we see, you know, I, I'm wondering if he's a ghost or a, a, an actual patient at this point. I'm not sure. And the broom moment freaked me out when he was hitting the broom against his head. That was so freaky. And then... But to me, I think the scariest part is when the nuns, well, I thought they were nuns at the time. I mean, it kind of was like a, an allusion to it. I think they kind of alluded to the whole nun figure because they wake up and there's these people, Noah wakes up and there's people crowded on his bed and they look like nuns. They have like red capes on. So that to me was the creepiest because I think my biggest fear is like waking up and seeing something in my room. So I was like, oh no, I don't want to see this. And like I said, I think it was maybe in a, re a religious association, which we'll talk about later about the meaning of the episode. Um, but I think, you know, those two clearly, we don't know if they were dreams or reality, but the most believable was his friend. So, you know, his friend ends up having a seizure and he's kind of the most grounded one there and he's going through it. And, you know, he asks him if he's getting sicker or better. And then he has a seizure and he sees him tied up on the bed so creepy but I I just couldn't believe all that was going on and then they find this book you know it's just it's just so much craziness was going on but all I know is Noah has a backbone and as it gets closer and closer to the conclusion we see this demonic book that he finds at least this was you know this was definitely a pivotal moment for me you know all the there's a series of crazy things happening but then we see this demon, demonic book that he finds like I said a nod to religion maybe and um we see the symbol under the bed and then the nurse says you know you know she's like you know you're just here is everything good and you know he's trying to help her out or she's trying to help him out but he's like no I know something is wrong and then he wakes up and now he's in the ropes and this is when it really really just packs a punch and so we find out that this nurse um or this 
lizard person, this demon, this devil. We don't know what she is. She's basically given his family power and wealth in exchange for um, any of the children's or the people, uh, you know, that are of chosen being host, I think is the word she uses. And so they're, they're carriers. Maybe they're possessed. Who knows? But I thought it was a wild journey. And then, you know, we see the breakup with Isaac, and they have different priorities, he says. And these are the two lines that really, really got me. Um, Noah says to Isaac, his boyfriend, learn to control your emotions. Emotions are the energy, they are the enemy. And I thought that was really scary. It made me stop and think. And so this is really what I want to get into here. The meaning of this whole episode, because as we've seen with Two Senate's Horror Stories, it's tackling societal topics. We've done immigration, you know, we've done, um, you know, sexual harassment in the work- workplace. We've done a lot of things. And so I can't help but think this could possibly um, be kind of um, taking a nod and maybe at conversion therapy or, you know, sexuality because of this, the, the episode. And so it's a big to- uh, topic to tackle, but they do it. And that's what I personally think. Like I said, we'll talk to Natalia, but that's what I think maybe the meaning of this episode was. I mean, between the last two lines with, you know, emotions are the energy, the, the enemy, the nod to religion. Um, I, I noticed that it was, in, you know, women can also go through conversion therapy. But, I mean, if you've seen, like, Boy Race and hear these stories, it's a lot of men going through these programs, these awful, awful programs that are still happening in the U.S. and other countries, unfortunately. But um, it was all men, you know, because it was the friend. We see the guy with the broomstick. All these men, it's happening to them. And then um, the woman or the nurse, she, uh, let's see, what is her name? I wrote it down. Uh, Dr. Lucy, she refers to what happened on the street at the beginning of the episode because Isaac had told her that man attacked them in the park when they were kissing. And so I can't help but think that's what this all is about. But I thought the pacing of the episode was well. Um, I thought or I thought the pacing of the episode was good. I thought the storyline, very it panned out very well, um, which was super exciting. And then the last, the final line is, the devil smiled promising me the world so together that horror story reads i shook her hand sealing the deal the devil smiled promising me the world and so i don't know about you guys i don't know if you've seen um sabrina the the chilling adventures of sabrina on netflix but it kind of gave me those vibes as well as you know signing a deal with the the devil and i think my only remaining question which we'll get to in a little bit because we'll talk to natalia my biggest question is what does this exactly mean for him to now be the host. So, you know, he has these, they talked about him having these powers and getting his power back, but what does that mean? Does he have to do bad things? Did he sign a deal with the devil? Does he have to carry out awful acts? Does he become a different person? Does he have to, you know, nix all his relationships? So I'm just curious what that means. It's only 30 minutes, so they can only do so much in a show, but it's so good that we have all these questions, like we want to know what happened. Um, So, that is basically the overview of the episode before we get into all this fun stuff. Uh, but before we move on to that, I have a message for you guys. I just want to say thank you so, so much for watching After Buzz TV. I mean, it means so much to us here. Um, you guys make us the ESPN of TV talk. We're able to, you know, do any genre you want, not just horror, but we have comedy, we have drama, we cover every network, every platform out there, all for you guys to have a space to come and talk because, you know, sometimes you watch a show and your friends don't like it or sometimes all your friends like it and it's so fun to get to meet people, um, you know, who watch these shows. I talk to people all the time in the comments and to be able to do that means so much to us. So if you can, to keep After Buzz going, um, if you could just like us, 
uh, on YouTube. Subscribe to us. Hit that bell notification so you know every time you get a new video, a two-sentence horror story episode. And then, of course, rate us five stars on iTunes. It means so much to us. So, again, thank you for watching. We're so excited to have you guys here. And, hey, let's get on to the rest of the episode. So, we ran through all the episode, but now I'm so excited to present to you a special segment, and I've titled it, Truth is Stranger Than Fiction. So, in this special segment, before we've done Truth or Scare, but in this special segment, I'm going to be telling you about a horror movie, or I guess a true story that was actually converted into a horror movie. Um, And I chose one that... I actually, I didn't know this was a true story. I mean, I always assumed, you know, it was based on something or inspired by some sort of true events, as horror stories and most films usually are. It's based on personal experience or, you know, your scary imagination. But this one, I I did not know that this was a true story. So I found this on Mental Floss. Um, The article is titled, Nine Horror Movies Inspired by Real-Life Events. And basically, Nightmare on Elm Street, which is one of my favorite slasher movies of all time, It was actually, I don't know if you know what it's about, but, you know, it's a supernatural killer, which is Freddy Krueger, and he's passed away. He's not really a supernatural figure because he was, like, a creep, and then he died in a fire, and he basically he stalks his prey while they're sleeping and then kills them in their sleep, so these people are scared to go to sleep. So, Wes Craven based this actually on a series of newspaper articles from the Los Angeles Times about a strange phenomenon where young Asian refugees would mysteriously die in their sleep. So this is a real life happening. And it was reported that they were refused to sleep. They were had they had terrifying nightmares um, and they all led to death. And so the craziest, I mean that's crazy in itself. The next craziest part about this is that according to Craven, the papers the, the Los Angeles Times never even correlated all these events. So these three deaths that happened with the same exact event surrounding them with these nightmares, they didn't even say, well, we had one last month that ha- this happened to her a few years ago. So Craven correlated them himself. He must have been an avid newspaper reader. And he basically found out that they all belonged together. They might be a string of events. So to go deeper into this, he said, um, this is this is the, the actual story in quotes from um, one of the, per- the people that it happened to. He said... You don't understand. I've had nightmares before. This is different. And he was given sleeping pills by his family, um, but he didn't take them. And supposedly he just stayed up. They later found a coffee. They, he had a, like a coffee maker in his closet to stay up, which is totally wild. Um, but apparently he just stayed up and, you know, it was like six or seven days that this this man had stayed up. And finally he was watching television with his family one night and he fell asleep. So they carried him, up, carried him upstairs and he said, thank goodness he's fine asleep. Put him to bed. Not even immediately. A few hours later, they heard screaming in the middle of the night, and they heard, right here it says, crashing. They heard all these things. The family ran into the room, and by the time they got there, he was dead. Um, And they had an autopsy performed, and there was no heart attack. He had died for unexplained reasons. So there you have it. That is a real-life horror story that was transformed into a scary movie called Nightmare on Elm Street wild am i right and so next we'll get on to news and gossip i'm so excited because we haven't done news and gossip yet for the show i was waiting for some articles to come out for some good reads for you guys to you know give you some updates on the show and i'm really excited to present this article it's a one one four two eight elm 
article, and actually my good friend from home, shout out to Maddie Lennon, we grew up in Virginia Beach together, she wrote this article, which is wild. Um, So basically, in this article, they interview one of the cinematographers from the show, Guy Pools, and they asked him what initially intrigued you about a project like Two Sentence Horror Stories, and I found out he's also, he worked on the digital version, because as you guys know, I mentioned in the first episode, this was a digital series, and they made it into film, or I'm sorry, into TV. So Guy Poole said, I'm a huge fan of the anthology format, for one. The ability to tell a story in its entirety within a single episode is incredibly satisfying form from a visual standpoint. You get to design a visual arc for the narrative that's far more pointed and direct, as the shorter runtime only allows room for what is absolutely necessary to tell the story. I have such a love for short films, and it saddens me that they're so often overlooked as a medium. A show like Two Sentence Horror Stories is really able to take what's so effective about the nature of filmmaking and then open it up to a larger audience. And I agree. You know, I didn't really think about this. Short films are kind of overlooked, and, uh, you know, short form series are as well. And I think we've kind of had this golden age of, of short form, which is exciting, and this show is taking... Things that hasn't they haven't really been done before, you know, commentary on society, horror, short form, and putting it all together and just punching a story in. And that leaves questions, but, you know, the best pieces of art leave some questions unanswered and leave some loose ends. So that's really, really exciting. I hope you guys enjoyed that little piece of information from Guy Pools. And finally, we are here. We made it. I am so excited to be interviewing Natalia Ayudin, who was the director of this episode. Sky on. I'm so excited. Uh, so Natalia is a writer-director hailing from Poland. She got her start as a TV editor and programmer. She's made projects for brands like Refinery29, um, Rashida Jones, and Netflix. And of course now, her television debut, her first time directing for TV, has been with two sentence horror stories. And just so you guys know, a nugget of information, this is not her epi- first episode that she's directed. She's also directed the episode, which was, I think it was the first one, Gentlemen. So welcome, Natalia. Congrats on your TV debut. How freaking cool. How are you? I'm very, very happy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, I'm glad. You know, having, Yeah. The the two episodes that you mentioned it was a it was quite a journey and uh, so much fun they're so different and I am excited because they are tonight you know Cyan had had its premiere but then uh, Gentleman the season opener um, was repeated right after us so it was it was kind of like my night um, oh. I'm really pumped about that wow did they plan that yeah they did they plan that. To do, oh yeah, to do back to back yeah. The, they just some of the yeah some of the uh, episodes of the series get repeated. So um, yeah, they I guess they they played uh, gentlemen one more time, which is great. Oh my gosh, that's really exciting. So what was going through your head when you were presented with this opportunity to direct? And you know, how did you get the gig? Um, what made you you know want to do get involved with this project and do this story? Yeah, I I think you know. Um, just as you were describing, um, I was listening to some of the things you were saying about Wes Craven and just uh, horror in general. You know, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, the genre. I, I love both horror and thriller. I think that they present this unique opportunity to sort of find universal almost metaphors for certain fears that we all go through, anxieties, traumas that we might not be able to sort of express in, in our day-to-day, uh, but that become extremely um, you know, effective as stories in a film. Um, so that that I think that that's a lot of freedom for a filmmaker who likes to, um, 
you know, experiment and sort of, uh, yeah, play with, with emotions that I think horror allows you to do. Well, yeah, that's awesome. I totally agree. I say that on the show all the time. Um, so what goes exactly into the process of directing horror in general? I mean, because you've done other, you know, you've done, you've done marketing pieces, you've done a lot of different genres. So what goes specifically into the process of directing horror? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, a big part of it is that you have to understand what will be some of the components of the story you're working with that will generate the scares, right? So, um, you know, there'll be certain things, depending on the subgenre you're working with, that you have to kind of really hone in on. Um, I think you mentioned other, um, you know, episodes in the anthology like Squirm, right, which mm-hmm. is like a body horror. Yeah. Um, and then Gentleman, my other episode is more of a thriller, but Cyan being this sort of like almost satanic story or like a asylum horror um, has certain genre components, conventional things that um, you use, you think of how to really um, sort of capitalize on them, right? So mm-hmm. um, it's usually on the page already, but um, there's so many beautiful ways in which, you know, film can um, contribute to making it a more scarier, like, uh, you know, score or sound design or like in science, I think you also mentioned how there's this way of like we're blurring reality with dream, which I think is a very cinematic thing. Um, you know, movies in so many ways are like dreams. So I think um, horror really helps you um, work with that. You know, it's a nightmare and uh, and it's um, it's just as close to cinema as, as, as it can be. Yeah. Um, and I, I like that. I agree. So can you tell us, were these flashbacks, everything that was happening to Noah, were they, re- was it reality or was it dreams? Yeah, it's a good question. I think we worked really hard with our whole team, both the cinematographer, Guy Pools, and um, our whole, you know, our department, as well as our um, wonderful showrunner, uh, Vera Miao, to sort of create um, that confusion, right? Yeah. Of like, is it? Um, a dream or is it reality um, and that was a lot of fun uh, I think a lot you know our actors uh, sort of were confused also um, as characters and, and that really helped them yeah. a lot of things I think are intentionally just um, left as ambiguous um, oh. and I would hope that it works because we're really trying to get into the head of Noah you know mm-hmm. what, what is this boy really going through you know he is mm-hmm. confused and the audience is confused with him and I, and I, and I think that that's um, kind of scary than knowing, you know, sort of like the whole truth, right? Yeah, yeah. And you you said that it's ambiguous. And I was actually, I wanted to ask you about this. So clearly we see it's an entity. I came in tonight thinking it was it was a demon. Like, I think he was possessed by a demon. But then our producer, Jonathan, was like, no, it's a lizard person. So it's just funny to me how <laughs> ambiguity plays so much into horror. So I wanted to ask you, do you prefer when the entity in horror is ambiguous? Or do you like when it's a specific, you know, um, monster or ghost? Or uh, was it challenging to direct because it was so ambiguous? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know what? I think that um, actually... In this case, I like when it's clearer, mm-hmm. um, and it. I think to me, it was the way I approached it and the way I was kind of working with that cast was that it was actually the devil. Um, while obviously we have, you know, the lizard eyes and, yeah. and it's the beast sort of um, really scary kind of representation of evil, in my mind somehow, it, it was just sort of, 
maybe not a religion representation of the devil, but whatever it is that is the purest evil, right? Whatever it is that, that the, the audience can personify in their heads as the thing most scared, scared of that is going to devour your soul, that I hope <laughs> Dr. Lucy represented. Yeah, yeah, she was terrifying. That, I love the close-up on her face when she just like, it was after, you know, he confronted her. And she just, the smile turned to, like, a very stoic face. And I was like, I'm terrified. Uh, But, you know, (laughs) speaking of the purest form of evil, what do you think, since this is only 30 minutes, you have 30 minutes to make this incredible story. um, So past that point of the end of the episode, what actually is Noah capable of? In your head, did you think about, you know, afterwards, what he could possibly do with these powers or with this evil that's now in him? Or if you had to guess, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, I think that we sort of, when we just were talking about the episode and, and the way I sort of envisioned it uh, or understood, even in the in the in terms of the writing of it, mm-hmm. is that this boy essentially gives up the ability to feel, right? So he thinks as she's offering this, this, this incredible power to him that he was going to be able to be just fine and Isaac, the love of his life, is going to be great and you know, he'll save him. But what he doesn't know is that he won't be able to feel love anymore, right? So with all this Mm. perfection, uh, success, money, everything that awaits him being obviously uh, part of this super privileged family, there's the, the main thing he's losing, he's losing his soul, and he's losing his ability to love, right? So, um, but to answer your question specifically, I think that you're absolutely right, has the special the the superpowers of being able to feel no pain uh, right no confusion no more weakness he Mm. throughout the episode he's a very vulnerable character and sometimes uncertain right without isaac he feels a little weak and so he's he's going to lose all of that and be the top of the world type of kid you know that can do it all but without vulnerability and without the sensations inside his heart he's kind of you know empty (laughs) and um, unfortunately probably very um, unhappy but I don't know if he can ever feel unhappiness (laughs) yeah because if you can't feel you know pain or unhappiness you can't also feel the other extreme of that happiness all that other stuff wow that's that's wild I never even thought about that but um, so you know I kind of said it what I love about horror is that there's so many interpretations and Anybody could easily be wrong because, you know, it's it's your vision or everyone may have a different interpretation. I can easily be wrong. But I was like, is this maybe a nod to um, conversion therapy? Was there any talk of that or did that cross your mind or was it more just a like a, just a pure possession kind of piece? Yeah, it, it, I think it just naturally um, went in into that uh, realm of potentially being a metaphor for it. I think mm-hmm. that we all who are working on on science, especially those of us in crew and cast that, rep, you know, sort of see ourselves as queer, we saw this as um, a metaphor for any type of intervention when you are trying to change an individual that's oh. their own person into something that should be. Um, and obviously the examples that we have, you know, f- from unfortunately all over and and our reality we live in are those places right are those um and terrible programs where um you know folks are sent to 
be denied really um, who they are, you know, and unlearned their own identity, which um, is really a form of cruelty. And I think, especially our cast, that you know, um, some of our folks were you know, represented as queer. You know, they they immediately picked up on that. Um, I think that that brought in a lot of um, heightened sense of stakes, as yeah. well as authenticity to their performances. And I and I really appreciated that. Yeah, I love that so much. Um, and so I do have one question going off off topic for a second. But the guy with the broomstick, was he real? I In my head, I was like, he might be a ghost. But do you think that he was like um, an actual patient there? Yeah, so, so I think that there's a backstory to that character that potentially he was a failed attempt at mm. being a host for the devil mm. um, or Dr. Lucy's spirit, right? Evil spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and failed in a sense that he did not um, uh, agree to become a host uh, in a way that Izzy did, you know, um, Noah's friend or Noah himself. Yeah. And so I think that he is, it's, it's re- really interesting as you say whether he's a ghost or not, because he in some sense is sort of the spirit of the place that is so eerie in itself. Um, but he also, you know, um, it could be a ghost. He, he definitely exists. And there's something obviously that's wrong with his um, cognition and um, his appearance is really, um, I mean, it's its really unsettling and as it should in a, in a sort of a scary horror. Uh, but I think there's a, we always looked at him as that uh, character with a backstory where something went wrong, right? Some yeah. sort of transition, conversion didn't go right. Um, and he became stuck in his um repetitive sort of motion and this self-harm um that we don't know exactly what it is but it's um um painful to watch i hope oh i can't i I can't believe i say i hope it's painful (laughs) to watch i know it's like (laughs) the power of horror (laughs) uh so you said it yourself tonight you had both of your episodes air on tv back to back which is amazing congratulations so I'm not going to make you pick a favorite. That's the worst thing you can do to someone is say, you know, pick your favorite. But I will say, did one or the other resonate with you more in some sort of way that made it, you know, special to you? Yeah, you know, I, I, I have to say that I was really lucky that both episodes had wonderful cast. And as a director, I feel that that's, that's my biggest asset, right? Great mm-hmm. actors, they... Um, come in with their vulnerability and their amazing skills and bring your vision to life with with their emotions, with their hearts, with their bodies. And so um, in that sense, I think that both those episodes were, um, I'm I'm equally, um, you know, in love with them. But um, in terms of just the story being a little closer to my heart, I think it it is Sion because it it had a certain um, aesthetic or, 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 allowed for an aesthetic that is just naturally close to to just what I like to do. But also, you mentioned a little bit about my background being from Poland, being an Eastern European filmmaker. Mm. I think that um, there's a certain sense of being imprisoned that comes from the, the sort of um, my background and, and, and even having, you know, sort of grew up, grown up behind Iron Curtain and understanding what it means mm. to live in a world that has no democracy makes those themes a little more um, familiar. So I felt like I could express myself slightly better in there. Um, not that, you know, um, Cyan has those 
themes, but there was something about uh, being a rebel that I really Mm. recognized in Cyan that's always very close to my heart. So in that sense, I think it was was just a more comfortable space. But I thought both were a wonderful opportunity to try, you know, different forms of cinematic expression and and try new things. Um, And I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, Noah was, he was a fiery one. I loved that. That was great. Uh, because like I said, some of the other, you know, a lot of the other characters in the, the episodes, they kind of were like, ah, should I call? I don't know. Should I run? Yeah. So he knew what he wanted. And he was like, I love the scene when he's like, get me the nurse right now. Um, so yes, we appreciated a strong character. Um, and I just wanted to say thank you so much because, you know, I was reading up on the show and I love that there's so many female writers, directors, yeah. um, editors. I saw a picture you posted on Instagram. There's female editors, um, show a showrunner. Yeah. Uh, it's such a diverse cast and crew, which is super important. Um, and I know that must have been important for you walking into this. Um, and, you know, we got to get more ladies in horror. So I'm so glad. I'm so glad um, that you're part of this project and that this project is part of our lives. It's awesome. Um, and then just one last question. So you began your career as an editor, which I did as well as a video editor and also a programmer. And I just want to know what is your biggest lesson that you've learned so far working in the industry? I learned that, you know, um, being authentically committed to your craft um, will take you a long way. It might not happen immediately, but if, um, you know, instead of shortcuts, you actually um, work on becoming an excellent storyteller, an excellent artist, an excellent, um, um, actually a human being, um, and you be, you stay true to yourself, um, you will probably have a very rewarding career. And um, specifically with editing, um, I think editing taught me a lot of patience, right? Because mm, it's yes. a lot of uh, many hours in yeah. solitude and, uh, you know, learning how to be a great storyteller and sometimes having so little to work with and often, you know, dealing with a lot of egos and um, having to work with all kinds of people um, gives you a lot of uh, humility and, and a sense of healthy distance to what we actually do as storytellers. But I would hope that the passion um, stays because without it, um, I don't know if you can, you know, do great work. And that's certainly the the, the lesson from the edit room to set, I guess. Um, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes, of course. Well, thank you, Natalia, for your passion and for this episode. It was absolutely wonderful. Um, where can people find you on social media, your website? What projects are you working on? Tell us everything that we need to know. <laughs> Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I am on uh, nataliaudin.com. Uh, That's my website where you can see some of, just some samples of my work that I feel, you know, m- most uh, stoked about. Um, that's nataliaudin.com. And then same really is Instagram and uh, connect, follow me. Um, the projects that are coming are many. Um, working hard on two feature film projects and developing a show based on a short I did a few years ago called The Garden, starring Sophia Lillis, who is uh, currently in It Too, but shortly after we did the short, she was in, um, you know, the first uh, New It and then Sharp Objects and um, Nancy Drew and The Staircase, and um, she's a wonderful young star, and I'm very... um, 
lucky that that, that I, I didn't discover her, but she was a very young kid when she was in our short, and now um, the sky's the limit. So um, all good things. Oh, that's amazing. I'm so happy for you. Thank you again for telling us, you know, everything about the episode and everything about your craft. We appreciate all you do. And thank you guys for tuning into the show. We're so amped that you come back each and every week to support the show and to watch us. So thank you again. My name is Mia Brabham. I was your host tonight. You can find me on Instagram at yours truly Mia. You can find me on Twitter at Hot Mess Mia. And I also love the comments. I'm sure Natalia will too. See all the comments below and comment and say hi. Um, Can't wait to talk to you guys. Thank you again for watching and see you next week. Bye. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menounos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.